and think about what this passage means to us. Um, think about who Jesus is, Lord. I pray that you would reveal reveal that to each one of us tonight. I pray this in your name. Amen. I've been so tempted to say something about the grand final. Um, I've got a little radio earpiece in my, in my other ear, so if you hear me pause in mid-sermon and go, Yes! No, I'm kidding. I don't really. I've got full focus on doing this sermon tonight. So So we're in chapter 6 of Mark, verse 45. And you'll remember from last week's sermon about the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men plus women and children. And... um, And at the start of our passage tonight, there's something sort of bizarre. Jesus dismisses his disciples straight up. He dismisses his disciples before he dismisses the crowd. I found this a little bit perplexing because if you're training these disciples and teaching them to be your witnesses when you are resurrected and ascended to to heaven... If you're training these guys, you'd think that they would be the last guys to to be dismissed. But instead, he dismisses the crowd, uh, dismisses the disciples first. Mark's gospel doesn't mention why he does this, but John's gospel does. John's gospel mentions that there's an underlying thing going on in the crowd, and therefore Jesus... Uh, dismisses his disciples first. After the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd wanted to make him king. They knew the, their Old Testament prophecy. They knew that the, the Messiah was the man to come and there was going to be a great uproar and then he'd overthrow their oppressors and, um, and set up a new nation of Israel. Let's read John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. I'll give you a little bit of time to turn there. Verse 14 says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So they, they knew their Old Testament prophecy. Like I said, they, they wanted to make Jesus king. So Jesus dismisses his disciples before he dismisses the crowd. These, these crazy Jewish people, why can't they see that Jesus didn't come to be, be their king? He didn't come to have an earthly kingdom set up but if we look back at the Old Testament, we can sort of understand a little bit of their, their thinking. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You can sort of understand their thinking, can't you? If you, if you look at the, the words like government and justice and righteousness, you can kind of think, oh, this guy who is the promised Messiah will be our king. We'll have a government set up for him and, um, and, and it'll all be hunky-dory for us Jewish people. But we know with our New Testament perspective, we know that that's not the case, don't we? So Jesus dismisses his disciples first before the crowd and um, he didn't want them to be corrupted or their thinking to be corrupted by the thinking of the crowd. So, they, so he sends them off over to the other side of the lake. The disciples have been going forth from one side of the lake to the other for the last couple of weeks as we're following through our, our series in Mark, haven't they? They wouldn't have known whether they were coming or going, I think. So Jesus goes off to pray. And then later on in the night, he, um, he sees that they're having a hard time um, heading across to the other side of the lake. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus sees that the boat is far off in the distance from the shore and he starts walking out to them. I think this is a pretty cool example of, of who Jesus is, isn't it? It's a cool example of, of Jesus' power over wind and waves and creation. But to gain a little bit more perspective on, on what sort of time and, and what's going on exactly, when you hear the, the words fourth watch of the night or third hour of the day in the Bible, it's um, just the writer's way of explaining the time. Night times were were divided up into four watches or four lookouts, so to speak. So the first one went from sunset through to about 9 o'clock. The next one, 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock, about three hours. Third one, midnight till 3, and then the fourth one, 3 o'clock till sunrise, roughly, give or take. So we're in the wee small hours of the morning here with the fourth watch of the night. And it's the same with the days. The days are divided up into hours. The third hour of the day is, is generally about nine o'clock, uh, with the first hour being right before sunset, uh, sunrise, sorry. And then the sixth hour of the day is midday, so on and so forth. You can gain a, a lot of perspective of, of what time of day it is. But like I said, we're in the wee small hours of the morning. And Jesus notices that the guys are struggling against the wind. They're rowing across the, the lake and the wind is against them and they're having a hard time. And now we have Jesus explaining or demonstrating his power for the second time over the wind and the waves. But this time it's just slightly different. This time, instead of being in the boat with them, He's on the shore and he starts walking out to them. 
instead of just saying the words, peace be still to the storm, like what we heard about in, in chapter 4 from a couple of weeks ago, it's, it's his whole body that demonstrates his authority or sovereignty over the wind and the waves. He just starts walking out to the, to the boat. It's pretty simple for him. But it also proves how Jesus is sovereign over creation, how Jesus is sovereign over water, over the wind and the waves, the storm, and, um, and it gives us a link of, of who Jesus is. It proves that he has sovereignty over these things. As, as Christians, we believe that God made the heavens and the earth, don't we? And so if we make the link between Jesus' power over the wind and the waves, over the lake, it, it gives us a, um, a, a proper understanding of who Jesus is. We can see that it proves who Jesus is, is, is that he's the Son of God. Now, I think that this is a great spectacle of Jesus' power. But there's a couple of little words that perplexed me when I was working through this passage. In verse 48, it says that he meant to pass by them. Verse 48, we'll read the whole lot. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. You can sort of read this and, and think, oh, so Jesus, you, you're just going to walk on by? You're not going to help these guys out? But if we have a look at it from the perspective of the disciples, I've changed this into, into the first person sort of narrative. Mark is telling it from a third-person narrative because he wasn't there, but he's, he's reflecting what, what um, he's heard the other disciples talk about. But when we put it into the first-person kind of um, speech, it, it gives us a different perspective on, on what was going on there. Verse 48 and 49 in, in first-person say, say, When Jesus saw that we were making painful headway, for the wind was against us. About the fourth watch of the night he came to us, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by us, but when we saw him on the sea, we thought that he was a ghost and we cried out. Can you see that looking at it from this perspective, it, it gives us a different angle of what happened and that it wasn't just Jesus walking past and going, you'll be right, fellas. Keep paddling. He meant to pass by them. He meant to make his presence known to them. He meant to, to get them to see him and for them to put their trust and their faith in him. He was trying to give them the impression that, that he was there with them. He was walking past and going, come on, put your faith in me. Don't do this on your own. Don't paddle by yourself, but just just put your faith in me. 
But our crazy disciples, all they do is get all the more afraid and insecure and they just think that he's a ghost. So they need to get into the boat with him. So Jesus gets into the boat with them. Sometimes we can read these sort of things and, and not understand the full full perspective of the Bible. We can not understand just a, a small portion of the Bible, can we? And just like the, the crowds, we don't understand the concept of Jesus' kingdom or, um, or sometimes just like the disciples, we don't understand what's going on with Jesus walking on the water. One thing that we can be reminded of here from this passage is is that Jesus is always with us. Just like the way that, that Jesus was with his disciples, even just looking out over the sea and seeing them paddling and having a hard time, he ends up walking out to them and showing that he is with them. But the greater thing still is that when they cry out, when they get afraid... What does Jesus do? He gets into the boat with them. He doesn't keep himself far aloof and, and, um, and say, you'll be right, you'll be right. He comes closer. He gets closer to them and, and makes himself known, makes himself present. I find this a great comfort, that when I'm afraid, Jesus is there with me. And one of the, the key verses that I like to, to hang on to is, is Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. The disciples were having a hard time rowing against the wind, weren't they? They were, they were in trouble. But Jesus comes past and makes himself known to them. But when they are afraid, he comes even closer, makes himself present with them. Christianity is not an easy road to travel, is it? Sometimes it'll feel like we're rowing against the wind, two paddles forward, one blow back. But you can be reminded tonight out of this passage that, that Jesus is with us that the creator of the earth and he who is sovereign over the earth has his eye on you. It may not be in the way that we experience comfort sometimes. We, we may not experience God's comfort in the way that we expect it to, just like the crowds didn't experience Jesus' kingdom in the way that they expected to. We may not always experience um, receive God's comfort in the way that we expect it to. Not only does Jesus um, walk on the water to show his sovereignty over, over the earth, over creation, but later on down the track, Jesus really instates his kingdom he, he opens up the kingdom of God to people by dying on the cross and showing his power over 
not only creation but death from his resurrection as well. I find a great comfort in knowing that that the creator of the earth is concerned enough about me to to die a painful death on the cross. He is concerned enough about me to to allow me to come back to God by suffering. The last verse in our passage tonight shows that the disciples didn't always understand what was going on. In fact, they had their hearts hardened. I want to ask you, where do you stand tonight? Do you find great comfort from this passage or or are you someone who's um, not fully understanding what's going on within your life or within church or or anything at the moment? Or are you like the disciples and you don't fully understand what's what's happening um, and perhaps you maybe have a hardened heart? Perhaps you've got a soft heart and all you need to do is to just cry out to God. I find great comfort in knowing that that I can trust in God. Not that I get it right 100% of the time. Not that I get it right 75% of the time. But I know I can trust God because he has, he has demonstrated his trustworthiness. I hope this has been a, a comfort and encouragement to you tonight. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, your demonstration of your power that we have here in Mark chapter 6. But Lord, I thank you all the more for the demonstration of your power and your trustworthiness and your sovereignty over all things that we have throughout Mark's gospel and the the entirety of the Bible. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to soften our hearts to to be able to trust in you even when it seems like we don't understand what's going on. But Lord, that we can trust you because you are so much more greater than our our lives and our troubles and our anything that's going on at the moment. Lord, I pray that you would demonstrate your power to us each and every day and that we would be reminded of that. I pray these things in your name. Amen.